Saturday night on The Circle on 93 WIPC. Welcome back to the show, ladies and gentlemen. Pandemonium and tumult set to unfold on the United States' southern border as Title 42 will be expiring in short order. Border Patrol already expecting an unprecedented influx of migrants as a friendly administration is supportive of the illegal transfer. Thanks for listening to Saturday Night on the Circle. I'm your bespectacled curmudgeon, Ethan Hatcher. Producer Carl is pushing those buttons and doing the things to make the show function. Carl, it's minimal wage, and there ain't nothing back there but an old army cot in the toilet. (laughs) All right, Dan. And we appreciate his hard work, as always. Okay, there's lots to unpack, lots to untangle. Of course, uh, as the president says, get ready, Bow, you're going to end for a problem on the southern border. We're also going to talk about the disappointing results, shall we say, of the Indianapolis May primaries. I, of course, was out of town this uh, last weekend, so I, uh, I voted early, absentee. Um, and I'm just happy to be back. I had a good time out in Pennsylvania, did some antiquing, went to the Wayne Phonograph Show in New Jersey, got some nice old records, got a record cabinet, got to visit with friends I've only seen online. So all in all, it was a good opportunity to uh, get out and enjoy the springtime. Although it was soggy, it was soggy like every day in Pennsylvania and the surrounding states. Was it wet down here too last week, Carl? It was it was cold. It was pretty miserable. It was cold. Yeah. I'm glad we turned a corner. Today has been yeah, quite pleasant. Nice. It seems like uh, everything's warming up and we're going to get that springtime weather that we have deserved. Yeah. I, I, it should have been here earlier than this. It's May 6th. Yeah. But I'll take it. Anyway. Okay, so Title 42 set to expire, a provision that was implemented in March of 2020 under uh, President uh, Donald Trump's tenure. Uh, At the time, the uh, Center for Disease Control had actually uh, regarded it as needed to stem the tide of coronavirus, and it's been uh, implemented since then, where uh, it's helped turn away more than 2.7 illegal migrants in the United uh, States, 2.7 million illegal migrants into the United States, which is an obscene number. Many of them are return customers who had been previously expelled. And get a load of this write-up that I heard. Mexico generally only accepting certain nationalities, which is comical. Um, The idea that we have to accept uh, all of the illegal migrants and, you know, they get to pick which illegal migrants they choose to accept. Absolutely hilarious. Border f- officials uh, already preparing for the increase in illegal crossings in many ways. It's already here. In April, the surge has started uh, rising to 183 migrant apprehensions, according to preliminary data uh according to Brandon Judd, who's president of the National Border Patrol Council. Uh, Texas cities of Brownsville, El Paso, and Laredo already declared emergency uh, declarations uh, because of the record levels of migrants in their cities. He wants to talk to border officials ahead of the expected surge next week. We went out with some of those Border Patrol officials and agents today as they apprehended migrants, tried to show us new ways they're preparing for this surge, through technologies, through more phone booths for migrants to be able to call 
asylum advocates and, and asylum officers and try to get their cases made. And they're trying to show us how they can more rapidly deport migrants now, more so than they ever have before. But people I've spoken to say the sheer numbers could still bring the system to a halt if they get over capacity. And they're already at the brink here. Just behind me, we've seen hundreds of migrants crossing the Rio Grande, and then they're quickly put on buses to get out of here. Already, Alejandra Mayorkas is at the southern border in Texas in full damage control and lying about the state of border security, um, saying that the border is secure, the United States does not support illegal migration, and yet we're expected to get 10,000 migrants a day, and they're currently overwhelming those uh, Texas cities that have already declared states of emergency. There's fights. There's dilapidation. There are people in desperate situations in dire need of health care, in need of uh, medical treatments, in need of food, in need of shelter, in need of clothing, and an inability to provide them with the sheer volume of resources that is required. At dawn, the migrants covered in blankets stretch for blocks. And tonight, El Paso is under a state of emergency because city officials say they don't have enough resources to handle this. Are you desperate? I'm very desperate. Maria Anghel from Venezuela tells us, next to her 10-year-old daughter, I don't have anything to eat. I don't have anywhere to sleep, she says. Today, we saw that desperation as migrants here scramble for food and water. We were here several months ago, and there appear to be many more migrants now. The difference is striking. This group extends all the way around this church for several city blocks. Incidentally, the reports you just heard, not from conservative news networks, both originating from NBC and noting how bad the situation on the southern border is, while the administration continues to clownishly project confidence and uh, a sense of accomplishment that's wholly undeserved. Now, uh, Border Patrol agents are saying one problem presented by the uh, uh, expiration of Title 42 is the time it will take to process these migrants, where before under Title 42, they could process and determine where they're going to go in a matter of like five minutes. Now it's going to take upwards of 30 minutes or an hour just to process one migrant. And when you're dealing with tens of thousands of migrants per day, hundreds of thousands of migrants per month, strangers a system that is already over capacity, it's simply untenable. And yet, the administration says they've taken uh, border security seriously since day one. Lying to your face. This is Corrine Jean-Pierre. Oh. When it comes to immigration, obviously the administration wants uh, immigration reform. But why hasn't the president brought in congressional leaders and tried to show leadership and come up with some kind of compromise that could pass? We show leadership. We show leadership on day one. On day one by putting forth a piece of legislation to deal with comprehensive uh, immigration reform. That's the leadership that this president showed on day one to show his commitment uh, to, uh, to making sure we have a safe and orderly and humane uh, way to deal with immigration, to, to, fix, a, 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 to fix a system uh, that is certainly broken and has been broken for some time. So that is the president's leadership. Liar! 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 Get back, witch! 
So this is absolutely obscene. And, of course, Corrine Jean-Pierre, hand-in-hand with uh, Alejandro Mayorkas in portraying this deceptive uh, picture of the situation on the southern border. But you know it's bad when even other Democrats are uh, are admitting how dire the situation is, uh, although ironically condemning Republicans and blaming uh, Governor Greg Abbott for creating the migrant crisis, which is absurd and cartoonish. But this is a letter that was sent uh, to Governor Greg Abbott uh, by the mayor of Chicago, outgoing Lori Lightfoot, uh, who says that her city is overwhelmed and they do not wish to have any more illegal migrants bust to Chicago. Quote, since we have began responding to the arrival of migrants sent by your delegation in August of 2022, we have shouldered the responsibility of caring for more than 8,000 men, women, and children with no resources of their own. That number continues to grow. Nearly all the migrants have been in dire need of food, water, and clothing, and many needed extensive medical care. Some of the individuals you placed on buses were women in active labor, and some were victims of sexual assault. None of these urgent needs were addressed in Texas. Instead, these individuals and families were packed onto buses and shipped across the country like freight without regard to their personal circumstance. I know by your actions that you either do not see or do not care about the trauma these migrants have already faced and continue to suffer under the humanitarian crisis that you have created. Yes, Governor Greg Abbott. The, the governor of Texas has created the migrant. Anyway, continuing. Uh, but I beseech you anyway, treat these individuals with the respect and dignity they deserve. To tell them to go to Chicago or inhumanely bust them here is an inviable uh, in and misleading choice. Yes. She actually stumbled on a good point there. Give them the dignity that they deserve. This system of illegal immigration that President Biden has fostered through his lack of enforcement is not dignified for all the reasons that she pointed to her city with a limited 8,000 illegal migrants. And when they're coming in at 10,000 a day, you're overwhelming major metropolitan areas, entire ability to care for them in a single day. Um, certainly t- the, the state of Texas doesn't have the resources to be able to care for them in that volume. It's not dignified. The sexual assaults that they suffer on the trip over here that Biden is responsible for by inviting an environment where this continues to take place is absolutely disgusting. And then uh, shifting the blame and somehow blaming the governor of Texas and not the president of the United States is obscene but expected from Lori Lightfoot. And good riddance to her. Uh, You know, an even more liberal loon set to take her place, but there you go. Uh, Of course, Alejandro Mayorkas on the southern border in the Rio Grande region claiming that the border is secure. Nothing to see here. Move along. Is our border secure? Our border is secure. Border is secure because we are maximizing our resources to deliver the most effective results to our border with the most extraordinary workforce in the world. (laughs) Are you serious? Biden administration definitely known for its uh, tough on illegal immigration policies. Not. You're listening to Saturday Night on The Circle. Stay tuned for more. Up next... 
We'll go uh, through a review of the disappointing May 2nd Indianapolis primaries and tell you why I think there's little room for optimism, but we'll get more into detail. Coming up next, stay tuned to 93 WIBC. You're listening to Saturday Night on the Circle on 93 WIPC. Welcome back to another edition of Saturday Night on the Circle. Catch my podcast uploaded to SaturdayNightOnTheCircle.Fireside.FM, WIBC.com, and always feel free to hop in the chat on YouTube while we stream live 7 to 9 with the show in progress. Of course, the Indianapolis uh, primaries were held on May 2nd, and uh, I found the results to be unsatisfying, disappointing, and probably indicative that we will be saddled with term three of Joe Hogsnot as the mayor of Indianapolis. Not a lot of reason to feel positive. Don't get me wrong. Now that Jefferson Shreve has won the May primary, he assuredly has my vote. I believe that under Joe Hogsett's uh, leadership, the city has rapidly deteriorated. Crime has ballooned uh, out of control uh, because of lax enforcement from the mayor's office and the prosecutor's office, which work hand in glove. Uh, But that said, I do not think Shreve's approach is likely to win in the Indianapolis uh, uh, voter with Indianapolis voters, um, and and I base this opinion. Let me just read a few excerpts because, of course, the Indianapolis Star was all over the local elections, and they had a number of insightful quotes from uh, voting citizens around the city, and I thought <laughs> they. Uh, you know, and certainly given who won, you know, Joe Hogsett easily uh, uh, winning his his primary and Jefferson Shreve stomping Abdul. This is a good representative body of the general mood. Richard, 65 of Lawrence, said uh, he doesn't take the privilege to vote likely. Uh, and he said he hopes Indianapolis stays the course. Quote, Hogsett's done a good job, Richard said. Quote, the things he started and set in place are things I'd like to see continue. He won his primary. I guess the constituency supports him. D'Artagnan, 45, also voted for Hogsett, and he said he wants the mayor to be able to finish what he started. Couldn't finish it in two terms. He definitely needs a third, particularly on the city's never-ending problem with potholes. Get this interesting logic. Quote, I'd like to stop putting new tires in my cars, said D'Artagnan, who describes himself as an independent. Um, He added he's had to change his tires seven times already this year. Quote, I feel like his plan should be finished. He wants to fix the roads. Well, he damn well hasn't. In fact, they've gotten substantially worse. What is this logic from 45-year-old D'Artagnan? Yvonne, 63, a Republican, here's a good reason. Now, she voted for Shreve. You want to know why? She voted for Shreve for mayor in the Republican primary, in part because he kept filling her mailbox with election campaign ads. Now, there's a good reason to vote for somebody, because... That's all it takes. 
You just got to have the uh, the advertising presence and the polish and those thick cardstock laptop sized mailers. That is what wins in a primary, not policy. Do you do you see why as we go through these, I feel that there is not a lot of reason to be optimis op optimistic. Are you feeling me here, Carl? Are you feeling me? Good thing I don't live in Indy. <laughs> right? I live, I live on the east side, and I'll tell you about what happened to Zach Adamson. Oh, yeah, you think it's good that uh, Vice President Zach Adamson lost his primary? No, we've just exchanged him for an even worse nut job. <coughs> Kyle, 39, of Indianapolis, uh, stopped by the city-county building to turn in his absentee ballot on Tuesday morning. He voted for current Mayor Joe Hogsett. Quote, that's who I put my faith in. He also supported the IPS referendum. Quote, Schools always need more money, period. That's pretty easy to support. <laughs> and it, it won handily. It doesn't matter that IPS is failing in the mind of an Indianapolis voter. No, no. They need unlimited financial support. They always need more money. That was the quote. Kristen, 55, and her husband, Patrick, 56, both Rhodes Scholars here in the city, uh, they voted for Hogsett. Uh, they said they supported him primarily because he seems competent and hasn't caused any major problems. Yeah, yeah. No, Car Carl's losing it. He's laughing in the background. They, and, and they have a low standard for competent. <laughs> oh, my. It'd be funny if it wasn't so damn sad. Quote, there's no red flags with his performance, said Kristen. Quote, I don't think we have enough money right now to address every single issue as well as anyone would want it to be, but I don't know if his competitors would do a better job. He has not done anything that I find reprehensible. The couple acknowledged that Hogsett tends to play it safe and doesn't grab ma many headlines, but that's not a bad thing in this political environment, they said. Quote, more substance and less show. Yes, that is an encapsulating uh, uh, sentence that I can think of that would describe Joe Hawks at more substance and less show. There's not a lot of reason to feel optimistic about the future of Indianapolis election, folks. And although I plan to vote for Jefferson Shreve in the general election uh, this November, you got to convince these people, these people who think Hogsett is unobjectionable and actually doing a good job on things like the road. He needs to finish his plan. You got to convince those people, at least a fraction of them, to cross over and vote or else you're going to lose. And I think Shreve is unfortunately doomed to lose. Now, there were several incumbents who were unseated in the Democratic primary, and that was interesting. Of course, Joe Hogsett easily winning. Um, but several newcomers joining the council in November. Uh, they tossed aside Monroe Gray, a veteran of three decades, um, in District 2. Jesse Brown going on to defeat Council Vice President Zach Adamson in District 13 on the east side, taking 56% of the vote compared to Adamson's 44. Now, if you were excited because uh, you think this might indicate a change, a departure from the liberal policies of Zach Adamson, you would be wrong. Here's what Jesse Brown campaigned on. She campaigned on a progressive agenda calling for housing for all, union workers for those who want one, and not using police to address the root causes of crime. Yes, that's the issue with Indianapolis crime. We need to not use police, according to incoming councilwoman Jesse Brown. 
do you see why I'm not overly optimistic for the direction of Indianapolis in the coming years? This is a problem, folks. Y'all better wake up. We need to get some competent candidates in here to run on Republican values and get the city under control because it's just going to deteriorate. We're looking at rapidly becoming at, at as or worse than the city of Chicago. And this is supposed to be the jewel of the state. This is supposed to be the capital city, and we're allowing it to rot on the vine. It's disgusting. And it w- with these kind of results, it only promises to continue in the future. Also in the Democratic primary uh, for newly drawn District 14 in Irvington, uh, Councilor David Ray lost to Andy Nielsen, who's a senior policy a- analyst uh, at the Indiana Community Action Poverty Institute. Ray was first elected in 2015 and got 43% of the vote on Tuesday. Nielsen won about 57% of the vote and serves as the treasurer of the Irvington Development Organization, nonprofit assist with, e- with economic development and housing in the area. So that's what happened on the Indianapolis primaries. Uh, My friend Abdul lost. I think he only got 26% of the vote. Um, I'm happy to have supported him. I was proud to cast my uh, vote for him early in the election. Um, And now that Shreve has won, I will support him. We may even have him on the show and interview him and see why he thinks he will be able to overcome the not- inconsiderable uh, uh, obstacles in his path to win the Indianapolis mayoral election, but wish him all the luck in the world. We need a change of of leadership. I certainly won't be voting for Joe Hogsnot. (sighs) Thanks for listening to Saturday Night on The Circle. We've got a lot more content to come. Up next, of course, is my cavalcade of cartoonish sound bites collected through the week. Hat Tricks with Hatcher is up next. Stay tuned. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Saturday Night on the Circle podcast. Be sure to catch us live every Saturday night from 7 to 9 Eastern on 93 WIBC Indianapolis and watch us on the YouTube live stream where you can comment live with other fans. This is Saturday Night on the Circle on 93 WIBC. Welcome back to another unforgettable edition of Saturday Night on the Circle with your host, Ethan Hatcher. This week, the cavalcade of shame continues while the administration officials scramble to project competency in a failing presidency. And Joe Biden makes his boldest claim yet while defending his capability of holding office. If you long for the days of relative normalcy, a shocking headline from a mother of a trans child will shock and appall you as a reminder for how far America has fallen. But some celebrities like Megyn Kelly and Bill Maher are pushing back against the insanity on this week's edition of Hatricks with Hatcher. It's time for another one of Hatcher's Hat Tricks. The story you are about to see is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. You're listening to Saturday Night on The Circle, where I'm your host, Ethan Hatcher, and producer Carl is pushing those buttons and doing the things to make the show function. We begin returning 
to Alejandro Mayorkas, who is covering Biden's ass big time. He was asked uh, uh, on Meet the Depressed whether or not the president uh, is capable of serving office as an 82-year-old. Here's what he had to say. There's a lot of questions about President Biden and his ability to serve in a second term. Um, you see him up close, face to face. What say you? Is he up for a, is he up for a second term? Oh, Chuck, a hundred percent. Incredibly sharp, incredibly probing, incredible command of the details. Uh, probing on the details, um, asking tough questions. Uh, absolutely, I'm incredibly proud uh, to serve in his administration. I am incredibly proud of the work that we have done across the board. Your full confidence done. he can full serve a second term. 100%. You have to get out of denial. I've had failure in my life. But one thing I'm not in is denial. You're in denial. I'm not in denial. Without a doubt, she's in denial. There's so many things wrong, and yet everybody's in denial. Stop being in denial! How can you say the president is up to the task of serving a second term? Every day he produces new gaffes like EIGH percent. Uh, looks like you got something to say. Yeah, to because producer, Alejandro right? is a comedian. Ah, yes, yes, uh, certainly. Uh, but but it, it's not funny when you're actually dealing with the executive who is himself a laughing stock. And they are trying to represent him as being suited to a second term. Like, okay, okay. Uh, Kamala Harris uh, ironically stumbled backwards into advocating for fiscal uh, fiscal responsibility while defending uh, the uh, raising the debt limit to pay for uh, the United States runaway spending. Here's what she had to say. To put it simply, this is an issue about the responsibility that the United States Congress, as an extension of the United States government, has to pay its bills. Yes. You have to pay your bills. We have to pay our bills. Everyone watching has to pay their bills. You spend the money, you need to pay for it. You put money on your credit card, you need to pay for it. The United States Congress needs to step up and where the Republican caucus is standing, the way it needs to step up and agree that there is a responsibility to pay the bills. He's out of line, but he's right. So she's advocating for raising the debt limit, but ironically, she's doing so under the premise of the United States needing to pay its bills, which is correct, but also ironically the reason for why we need to not continuously raise the debt limit uh un, you know to fund the unlimited uh increases in spending uh that the congress has burdened future generations of americans with we're now standing in excess of 30 trillion dollars of national debt which only continues to grow and she accurately stated you have to pay your credit card bills so America should have to pay its as well. Several states operate under balanced budget amendments, but not the federal government. It can be done, but they would rather use the spending as a means to buy votes, which is a concept that unfortunately we see actively used here in the state of Indiana as well. Now, here was a funny claim made by Joe Biden. He once said he would cure cancer, but I think this even tops that bold claim. Here's what he had to say when defending his fitness for office in an interview on MSNBC. Why would an 82-year-old Joe Biden be the right person for the most important job in the world? Because I've acquired a hell of a lot of wisdom. 
I know more than the vast majority of people. I'm more experienced than anybody's ever run for the office. And I think I've proven myself to be honorable as well as also effective. I, uh, I think I can smell shite. <laughs> yes, I can definitely smell shite. Pretty much more than anyone else in the room. The most qualified person for the... Okay. That is uh, quite an overestimation of our geriatric uh, executive's ability, but that's that's what they're going with. That's what you're going with. Uh, you, you, you heard it several times now that they are sticking with President Biden, uh, and basically what you can count on if you vote for President Biden or if he wins re-election, you're not voting for President Biden. This is that this will be President Kamal Harris. I don't think he can make it through another term. Uh, but we'll see. Get ready for that, Bal. Um, now, here is an interesting headline, just absolutely gross, but kind of uh, encapsulates why so many people have uh, taken uh, uh, objection to the uh, inclusion of transgender ideology so prominently in the public sphere. Um, this is a headline that I don't think I ever expected to read. Mother of transgender teen woke her out of deep sleep to insert lubricated dilator into neo-vagina to keep it from closing. This is being publicly discussed on cable programming uh, this is Jeanette Jennings, mother of transgender reality TV star Jazz Jennings, uh, discussing uh, this ordeal of inserting a lubricated dilator to her neo-vagina, threateningly somehow. Very bizarre, very sick, um, but here we go. But with her, I'm worried about like her mental well-being and her dilation. The minute she leaves my house, we have a dilation problem. That, that is a concern. When you don't have that watchful eye, they tend to go back to old patterns. I have woken Jazz out of a dead sleep and taken the dilator and put the lubrication on it and said, here, you take this and you put it in your vagina. If not, I will. But Jazz is bad, even when I'm home once a day. I will be so mad if she goes away to college and that thing seals up. I will wring her neck. Imagine. Daddy, chill. What the hell is even that? Get everybody out of my yard! Okay, so this is bizarre, but naturally, since you are performing surgical alteration to your butt, never, never really considered this before, but uh, much like uh, if you pierce your ears, if you don't con con continuously wear earrings, I guess uh, if you create a neo-vagina, in your nether regions, uh, it has the possibility of sealing back up uh, the problems that you don't think about when you're dealing with being uh, a transgender woman. Um, uh, of course, now, Megan Kelly, actual woman, had some thoughts on this whole issue, and she, frankly, has had enough, as many people have with this uh, somewhat bizarre nonsense. I started off being like, I understand, I have empathy for you, I will use your pronouns of choice, you know, I'm not going to say you're a woman, but you're a trans woman. And now I am realizing that all of those things are gateway drugs to the co-opting of female sports and the word female and the word woman and breastfeeding and childbearing and menstruation, all the things that are under solidly the list of what is a woman. And I'm really done. I'm done. I, 
I there is no such thing as a, a somebody who's born a biological man who is secretly a woman who who can become a woman. At best, you are a trans woman, and even that I'm wrestling with. I really am. I don't even really understand what that is. You're a trans person. You're really a biological man who's got some gender confusion issues, and my heart goes out to you. But you're not a woman. You, Dylan Mulvaney, you put on a dress. You you take a bunch of estrogen to grow something that approximates baby breasts. I don't know what those are. That, that's not what a, what a woman is. You'll never be a woman. You can have the surgery. Dylan says they're getting bottom surgery. Go ahead, have your penis chopped off. You're still not a woman. Getting a surgeon to cut a hole down there doesn't make you a woman. You don't know the first thing about being a woman. You have no idea what the average woman has been through the course of her life, the challenges we have, the beauty of being a woman, the softness of being a woman, and you never will. Fair assertions and ones that she firmly has the right to state as a biological woman, and I don't think she has to insert a lubricated dilator to make sure that, well, she doesn't have any vagina. She has just a regular vagina. So I, I don't think that those seal up the same way because it's not surgical mutilation of your body. Good God. Bill Maher also talking considerable sense. This was uh, on an episode that aired shortly after the Nashville shooting, but pointing out that uh, maybe it's time for the uh, LGBTQIA plus to uh, shed a few letters and maybe just limit itself to uh, the L to the G and the B. I know a lot of my gay friends feel the same way, that the LGBTQ is, is it a coalition that needs to come apart, right? That, you, that the T perhaps should be its own thing and you're lumping people together who actually, aside from not having a lot of things in common actually have some things that are contradicting each other. Well, I think up to the point where the trans movement was looking for equality and dignity and respect, the same thing that the gay movement was looking for, then that's fine. And most Americans support that. And by the way, since 2020, in the Supreme Court decision that was written by a Trump-appointed judge, Neil Gorsuch, trans people are now protected under the 1964 Civil Rights Act. Where I think the problem is, where some of the conflicts are, are, are coming, is in dealing with children. Because a lot of these gender non-conforming children would otherwise grow up to be gay. I mean, if you're a boy who's wearing his sister's dresses and playing with dolls, I mean, you know, seven out of 10 times, you're probably gonna grow up to be gay. And likewise for a, maybe a tomboy girl. Many of them will grow up to be straight too, who knows? But a lot of these kids are now being told because of this g radical gender ideology that they're actually a member of the opposite sex. And so this is where the conflict is, is coming in. And I think it's- Well, they're being also told in some, no, it varies from school to school. But sometimes they're just being told that there really is no such thing as sex, that it's all sort of on a spectrum. Well, There's no such thing as boys and girls. It's, it's, You're it, born, yeah. if you have a penis, it could be an indication of being a male. But I mean, it's, a, it's just a jump ball. And we'll, we'll figure it out later, and we can always cut it off. The further they push the insanity, the more people are waking up and being hip to the game. And the fact that this is a co-opting of genders um, and the fact that this is an attempt to eliminate bio biological reality, which simply cannot be done. You're listening to Saturday Night on The Circle. More content to come. Stay tuned, because up next, we'll tell you about the return of an infamous detective agency you probably didn't expect to hear about, but we'll tell you more up next on 93 WIBC. You're listening to Saturday Night on the Circle on 93 WIPC. Welcome back to the show. This is Saturday Night on the Circle where we're coasting things to a close. But before the segment ends, wanted to talk about the return of the infamous 
Pinkerton Detective Agency. Yeah, you probably hadn't heard from them in a while. Famous for union busting throughout the 19th and early 20th centuries. But now they are private detectives. And who could have imagined that the world of trading cards like Magic the Gathering and Pokemon was so cutthroat? Well... Uh, late last month, a YouTuber who had gained access to uh, contraband from Magic the Gathering, unreleased early access to cards, they had a knock at the door from the Pinkertons who showed up and asked for it back. Now, they didn't realize, this YouTuber didn't, didn't realize that they had received contraband because they had bought it from a third party, but uh, needless to say, this company wanted their uh, materials back so that way they could figure out how they were uh, gotten, how they got, were gotten access to and how the leak uh, happened so that way they can plug it in the future. Not the first time that this has happened, uh, I guess. It's a relatively common practice for these trading card companies uh, to utilize private detective uh, agencies like the Pinkertons um, to go after individuals who got their uh, hands on, you know, boxes ahead of time, prototype materials, or the like. It happened a couple years ago with uh, Pokemon trading cards uh, as well. This, according to a report from Polygon. Also this week, the mystery of the uh, uh, pasta in the woods has been solved. <laughs> have seen piles of the pasta in uh, woods surrounding New Jersey. Uh, well, neighbors have finally solved the mystery. Turns out, came from a nearby neighbor whose parents were selling their home. Uh, he's a veteran, and in cleaning out the house, they had extra loads of pasta, and he dumped it in the woods uncooked, thinking it would biodegrade, but then what happened is, of course, we had those heavy rains, and it soaked the East Coast, thus soaking the pasta and giving them the noodle-like consistency, and that's, that's the mystery finally come to a close, if you wondered about that. Interesting stuff. Uh, coming up in the next hour, we've got uh, uh, fun things to talk about, including uh, Governor Holcomb signing uh, the bill that requires parents to be informed if their children choose to uh, change, uh, choose gen change gender pronouns at school. Uh, obviously important, given the, some of the sound bites that we heard this hour. We'll also have guest Brian Baker into the studio. He's going to join us. We'll be talking about uh, Tucker Carlson's departure. Since I was out of town last week, I have not gotten to discuss that yet, and I think it's important asking what uh, you know what's in store for Fox. Uh, what's in store for Tucker and what people expect out of the broadcasters. And we'll also be talking about uh, J.P. Morgan's uh, vulture-like acquisition of First Republic Bank. All of this coming up in hour two. Don't miss a moment of Saturday Night on the Circle. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Saturday Night on the Circle podcast. Be sure to catch us live every Saturday night from 7 to 9 Eastern on 93 WIBC Indianapolis and watch us on the YouTube live stream where you can comment live with other fans. But you tell me over and over and over again, my friend, I don't.
listening to Saturday Night on the Circle on 93 WIPC. Don't Welcome you understand what this I'm trying to say? Can't you feel the fears I'm feeling today? If the button uh, is pushed, the there's no running away. Broadcast live no and find my podcast save. uploaded to we'll Saturday night on the circle.fireside.fm and wibc.com. We'll be uh, starting this hour discussing Governor Holcomb signing a bill into law which would ban uh, human sexuality instruction from kindergarten through third grade, uh, as well as requiring school officials to inform parents if their ch- children require or uh, request a pronoun change. We'll be getting into that. But, of course, uh, just finding out, top of the hour news, that we have suffered another mass shooting, this time taking place at an outlet mall in Allen, Texas. Uh, The shooter is down. An off-duty police officer was able to respond to that situation. Multiple casualties, although the amount at this time is still unknown. This happened earlier Saturday afternoon. Uh, So far, at least nine victims have been taken to area hospitals, um, but more could have been taken to uh, uh, hospitals that haven't been determined yet or uh, taken there by family and friends. So this is a situation that is still developing, still ongoing. Uh, Our hearts go out to the victims and their families. And my take from these situations uh, these days is now at at least it wasn't kids. At least this didn't happen at a school. Uh, So we can be thankful for that. Um, I guess uh, these shooting incidents have just uh, we've decided that they are part of uh, living here in America and we are fine with it continuing to happen. Uh, I have no doubt that another mass shooting will happen in the future. Um, And I guess uh, I guess there's just nothing that can be done. It's unfortunate. Um, But, yeah, multiple casualties down there. Uh, Our hearts uh, and our thoughts go out to uh, the victims of Allen, Allen, Texas, and their families. You're listening to 93 WIBC. In uh, slightly better news, um, Governor Holcomb signed into bill uh, signed into law 91 bills on Thursday. One of them didn't think Governor Holcomb had it in him, but he decided correctly to sign a bill into law which would prohibit. sexuality instruction from kindergarten through third grade, um, as well as requiring school officials to inform parents if their children request a pronoun change. I think this is perfectly... uh, th- th- this is this is perfectly acceptable. Um, of course, parents have the right to uh, have a say in their children's lives, uh, in their ch- children's mental well-being. And if there are problems, then school officials need to make parents aware of that. Uh, so that way they can have a discussion and give the children the help and the attention that they require. Um, now, some LGBTQ advocates uh, say that the b- a bill risks outing kids to their parents, which would cause them to be unsafe in their own homes. Um, parents ultimately have the final say in what goes on in their children's lives. I know that's an unpopular uh, position, but especially if they are feeling the kind of distress which would bring about gender dysphoria, I say that, yes, absolutely, parents need to know about that so that way they can address the issue with their children and get them the help that they need um whatever form that ultimately takes uh you you know um the parents need to be made aware um and you can see the kind of distress which is inflicted on those who experience uh uh, gender dysphoria here was a clip uh, that was published by libs of tiktok 
um, a young woman who was absolutely in hysterics because uh, she uh, her birth name was used uh, at a prescription uh, on a prescription uh, when she picked it up at the pharmacy and this was beyond the pale imagine being trans and trying to go get your medication I literally walk up there the later the lady on the phone is like oh can I have your last name and so I give it to her she's like oh, okay I'll meet you out there and I'll give you your prescription right so I'm waiting and she comes out and then she says oh is this for and then she says my dead name and I'm like, my name is Rylan. And she just looks at me. And then she puts the medication on the table and shuts the door and locks it behind her. like for legal reasons they they have to they have to use your name because uh, they they can't just hand prescriptions out to anyone who walks through the door uh, oh what's your name ah it doesn't matter match what's on the bottle ah who cares here have some controlled substances uh this is just a bizarre take and probably again circling back to the bill that governor holcomb signed like if she had gotten the attention necessary from her parents maybe she would have been uh, adequately equipped with the constitution necessary to pick up a prescription at the pharmacy like this is this is not complex it certainly isn't oppressive um and and if it's that important to her uh Rylan, uh she can go through the legal process necessary to change her name uh that's that's all there is to it um another reason why it's important for parents to be aware of this uh this was another crazy headline in addition to the one from last hour uh Go ahead and read that again. Mother of transgender teen woke her out of deep sleep to insert lubricated dilator into neo-vagina to keep it from closing. Well, uh, also competing for weirdest headline, a drag mom who mentored 11-year-old at Satan-themed pub sentenced for 11 child sex felonies. This was in the state of Oregon. A drag mom mentoring an 11-year-old at a Satan-themed pub sentenced to less than a year for 11 felony counts of sex crime, child sex crimes. Kelsey Metaboran, 31, pled guilty on March 23rd to 11 counts of encouraging child sexual abuse in the first degree. Another charge of using a child in a display of sexually explicit conduct was dismissed. She's going to serve 11 months in jail, five years on probation, and will need uh, her probation officer's permission to have contact with minors in the future. Also banned from contact with the victim, she will have to register as a sex offender. Now, this was uh, th this took place at a pub that was supported, naturally, by the LGBTQ community. They shouted down uh, uh, protesters of this drag event. Uh, and called them Nazis. And what was really going on was they were promoting child sex crimes. Now, this happened in the state of Oregon. Um, I believe it was in Eugene, yes, uh, Eugene, Oregon, in Nick's pub. So for this to have been identified and successfully prosecuted in the state of Oregon, imagine how obscene what was going on actually was. And 
yes, children are being preyed upon. We see evidence of that time and time again. And this is why people specifically object to stuff like Drag Queen Story Hour, because it's not about what the adult performers are doing. They can perform with other adults. It's when they bring children into it. That's a problem. They're this is grooming activity and it was successfully prosecuted so i feel completely safe and justified in saying that um 11 counts and only 11 months in prison 11 counts this is incredible um but highlighting the necessity for bills like governor holcomb signed into law and we can at least applaud him in that regard uh, he made a correct decision um but this is a problem that's been brewing for a while now also made fun of in uh, life of brian by monty python why are you always on about women stan i want to be one what i want to be a woman from now on i want you all to call me loretta what it's my right as a man why do you want to be Loretta, Stan? I want to have babies. You want to have babies? It's every man's right to have babies if he wants them. But you can't have babies! Don't you oppress me. I'm not oppressing you, Stan. You haven't got a womb. Where's the fetus going to just take? You're going to keep it in a box? Here, I've got an idea. Suppose you agree that he can't actually have babies, not having a womb, which is nobody's fault, not even the Romans, but that he can have the right to have babies. Good idea, Judith. We shall fight the oppressors for your right to have babies, brother. Sister, sorry. What's the point? What? What's the point of fighting for his right to have babies when he can't have babies? It is symbolic of our struggle against oppression. Symbolic of his struggle against reality. I mention this clip because John Cleese has also joined a growing list of celebrities who have stood in opposition to this battle against reality, tweeting his support, quoting from a British journalist, Martin Dobney, regarding uh, his reaction to a cycling race which took place in the UK where a transgendered female entered the women's division and won in spectacular fashion, something the journalist said should not have happened, to which uh, Cleese agreed, stating simply, biological men in women's sports have an unfair advantage and he was of course given the fifth degree raked over the coals on twitter but it's important for these celebrities to actually speak in defense of these issues because they have been uh, uh forced to be reckoned with in the shift of the culture and th this is a bridge clearly a bridge too uh, too far for many you're listening to Saturday Night on The Circle. More content to come. Friend of the show, Brian Baker, joins us next. We'll be talking Tucker Carlson and uh, what he's got in store for uh, uh, plan planning in the future. Stay tuned to 93 WIBC, Saturday Night on The Circle. Listening to Saturday Night on the Circle on 93 WIPC. Welcome back to Saturday Night on the Circle. I'm your host, Ethan Hatcher, a square peg in a round world. Thanks for listening. Check the podcast on WIBC.com, Saturday Night on the Circle.fireside.fm, and streaming live on the YouTube. Hop in the chat and join the show. 
Last week, the broadcasting world was amused when notoriously mediocre newsman Don Lamont was unceremoniously and abruptly fired from CNN. However, the same day Fox News shocked everyone by parting ways with ratings king Tucker Carlson in a major shift for the network. While most have already pointed and laughed at Don Lamont and since moved on, many still ponder what's next for Tucker, what's it mean for Fox, and perhaps most importantly, what should we expect from our news media broadcasters? Here to unpack and untangle this almost Shakespeare tale of betrayal and intrigue is the one and only gentleman from Georgia and stunt driver extraordinaire, the unforgettable Brian Baker, joins the show again. Ethan, how nice of you to pull me out of mothballs this week. I appreciate it. <laughs> hey, I, 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 I really wanted to have you on the show and discuss this departure of Tucker Carlson. I thought it was fascinating. It was certainly unexpected. And you had an interesting take on the issue and what people kind of expect from their broadcasters. But first, I thought it was a shock, shocking departure. Um, nobody saw it coming. And it was announced by Harris Faulkner uh, on Fox News. Fox News Media and Tucker Carlson have mutually agreed to part ways. Tucker's last show was this past Friday. We want to thank Tucker Carlson for his service to the network as a host and prior to that as a long-term contributor. I'm sorry, sir. It's time for you to leave. And so it is. Nobody saw this coming, Bri. What was your first reaction after the news hit uh, last Monday? You know, I was stunned by it. Um, I figured that it probably had something to do with the Dominion lawsuit and other lawsuits that are going to be coming down the pike. But nevertheless, it was still uh, extremely surprising to me because Tucker is responsible for a massive amount of their audience, and he draws huge numbers, and as a result also brings in a huge amount of revenue. So, yeah, I was really startled by it, especially when you look at how long they've held on to some of their other hosts who have perhaps been involved in things that are a little bit more nefarious and things that have cost the network uh, millions and millions of dollars. And I, I granted, I, this, uh, this settlement over with uh, Dominion is certainly expensive, um, but it's not as though uh, Tucker was the only person that had a hand in that. You know, it seems like the sure. entire network ran with a narrative. No, uh, $787 million is certainly nothing to sneeze at, but Tucker Carlson, not the only person involved with the uh, Dominion settlement and what was going on. One of the things that was revealed during that were the messages that Tucker Carlson was communicating behind the scenes, and that was reported on by Reuters. Dominion alleged that Carlson allowed debunked election fraud claims about the 2020 election involving the voting technology firm to air on his show while casting doubts on the plausibility of those claims in private messages that emerged in legal filings. Here's University of California, Los Angeles Communications Studies professor Tim Groling. I think that the Dominion trial has damaged Fox's brand by making it clear that he was saying things he didn't believe, um, that he was saying one thing and believing another. And I, I think that that is you know, damaging for that relationship, but it also means the people who trust him might go with him. So there the professor is touching on the issue that I think is most important and why Tucker's departure doesn't necessarily move the needle for me. I wish him well in his career, and certainly I think he's going to have a following, but I expect more from my broadcasters, and behind the scenes it seems unquestionable that he was communicating beliefs he didn't share on the air, and he was just pandering to the audience. I don't want to listen to a broadcaster just be because I agree with the lies they tell me. <laughs> well, you know, and, and and I get that take, Ethan. I think my view on it is this. Um, 
one of the things that Tucker is responsible for in working for that network, and look, I, I like Tucker Carlson a lot. I, I enjoyed his show. I, I thought that his monologues were very entertaining, and it was a lot of fun to see him bring on a guest and just so you could get that Tucker look with kind of the mouth slightly agape <laughs> and the eyes wide yeah. open. Um, but with that said, you know, he's being paid millions of dollars by Fox News. And part of that is that you, you really have to kind of toe the line with the company and what they want to portray. And their brand is more conservative news, just like CNN up until this point has been more on the liberal side of things. And so I don't know that they have ever really portrayed their, their primetime lineup as being a straight news organization, getting you unbiased, unfiltered. Well, maybe O'Reilly did that to an extent. Um, but I think Tucker's always been very clear that he has a certain political leanings and, and a certain political bent. And quite frankly, you know, that's what people want to see. If there was a market for the Walter Cronkite style reporting anymore, I think we would see that. The market would support it. But the truth is people want to hear their opinions and, and their general feelings on things repeated back to them. They want to parrot it back. And so, you know, the networks, I mean, it's really it's it's a problem on both ends the networks are are trying to make the most money for themselves and for their stockholders and and then in turn you know they've got to attract advertisers and people are going to flock to what they want to watch and what people want to watch is stuff that's news that is a little bit more slanted to the right or to the left and you know do i like that do i think that that's the best thing for the country no but it just is it's a reality well, that's not quite the issue that I was talking about because I don't uh, ha- have an issue with the fact that Fox News is a conservative-leaning news organization or approaches stories with that conservative perspective. And I agree, that's largely expected from the brand of Fox News. We know that's the perspective that their hosts are going to purvey. My issue is that the stories Tucker chose to promote, he did not believe in. An example being the Dominion Software claims, uh, specifically a text message he sent to his producer on November 9th when he said this software crap is absurd. Uh, we don't know anything about the software that may say, uh, that many say was rigged. We don't know. We ought to find out. So he doesn't believe in the claims that he's advancing on his news program. He promoted Trump, but then privately he said, quote, I hate him passionately. Um, on January 4th, uh, before the riot at the U.S. Capitol, he uh, said of Trump's presidency, we're all pretending that we've got a lot to show because admitting what a disaster it's been is too tough to digest. But come on, there really isn't an upside to Trump. And as much as I've criticized the former president, I would say that there were benefits to his administration. I would not summarize it so harshly. So it disturbs me that Tucker chose to promote stories that he didn't give credit in. And that seems fundamentally dishonest to me. I feel like that's damaging to the not only the brand of Fox News, but to the integrity of journalism and storytelling in broadcast media. Uh, Fair enough, and I would agree with you that it is damaging to the integrity of broadcasting and journalism. With that said, however, people fail to realize because it's presented as news, just like reality TV is is presented as being the truth. But what it is is really an exaggeration. And a lot of these political pundits, especially on on conservative shows, on on liberal shows, they're playing a character. They're playing up to that audience and and to what the audience wants to see. And so, I, I mean, I can tell you, I know a major name broadcaster who's in the L.A. market, and he is on a daily basis getting out there and making a great argument for the conservative point of view and, and, and perspective, and he believes in none of that. He's on the other side of the political aisle, but he's playing a character. And again, 
I agree with you. Is it damaging to the integrity of journalism and to, to news in general? Absolutely. But uh, it goes back to what is going to drive the revenue. And the fact is that, you know, they could they could play it straight. They could they could have integrity. But, hey, maybe they're not going to keep their job or B, you know, maybe the network's not going to make any money. And as a result, uh, you don't have any news coming out from that organization. So, I mean, it's is it sick? Is it ridiculous? Yeah. Um, but, you know, things are business driven and you kind of follow the money. So uh, I'm not saying I agree with any of that or that I think it's good. I'm just acknowledging sure. the reality. No, it's troubling that so many Americans have siloed themselves in uh, echo chambers that where they they only you know, they only hear what they want to agree with. And I think it's troubling that the integrity of journalism, they've muddied the waters by kind of, uh, well, they're approaching news the same way that Stephen Colbert approached his comedic shows by portraying a character rather than portraying their honest beliefs. And I think that's disconcerting. Yeah, absolutely. But I will tell you one thing, um, you know, if it came out that Tucker Carlson was an uber liberal, I think that he would be getting a little bit more of a pushback and, and people that have been following him would be, feel a little more like uh, they've been betrayed. Uh, <laughs> but the fact is that I think what what Tucker was saying off the air probably resonates with a lot of people because, you know, as we got further and further out from the election and uh, we had January 6th and all of this stuff was going on with uh, whether or not there had been election fraud, there were a lot of people that were on the right that you know had even supported Trump going into the, the second election or going for his re-election bid. But in the wake of just how nuts things got and some of the claims that came out, you know, he became a huge liability and really he brought a lot of damage upon himself. And so I think what Tucker was saying off the air was probably what a lot of the Fox News viewers felt and and were feeling themselves, were thinking themselves in the conversations they were having around the dinner table. But they weren't necessarily saying it in public because we've seen what happens when you don't toe the line with the Trump narrative. People go on the attack and all of a sudden you're not a conservative, you're a closet liberal. Yeah. No, I agree with that. Um, but let's wrap up the segment. What does this departure mean for Fox News? Where do they go uh, from here? And for that matter, where is Tucker Carlson going to go in his career, in your opinion? Well, I, Tucker Carlson's going to be fine. He has such a massive audience. And I mean, look what Mick and Kelly has done with her personal brand, launching her own channel, and she's making money. Uh, Tucker got a $100 million uh, offer from uh, some network, or maybe it was, was a... a yeah, yeah, Newsmax. So, I mean, he's going to be fine, and and, uh, and he'll bounce back, and he'll probably ultimately be in his best interest that he left. But for Fox News, this is disastrous. If you take a look at what their ratings have been since they since they let Tucker go, uh, the viewers are punishing them. They, I'm telling you, for some reason, uh, the, the folks that are fans of Tucker Carlson are much more passionate, passionate than uh, the folks that were, were behind O'Reilly. And so uh, the network's really – excuse me, the viewer is really angry about this they're punishing fox news and in terms of their general revenue because really i mean nobody cares about the daytime uh, uh programming it's prime time and that's where all the money is and that's going to evaporate very quickly so i think they're in a lot of trouble and they're going to regret making this decision and it appears at this point as though really he was sabotaged from within someone within uh, the, the uh, public relations department that 
took these, uh, got these audio clips and leaked them to the press herself. So it's pretty sick, and I, I think they're they're ultimately going to really suffer. Well, supposedly uh, the the decision to let him go came all the way from the top uh, from Rupert Murdoch. Uh, I think Fox News is certainly sh- suffering in the short term. They've already lost millions of dollars, but we'll see. I think maybe long term the network bounce back. Uh, they have bounced back certainly from prominent departures before Bill O'Reilly, like you mentioned, also Glenn Beck. Uh, it'll be fascinating to see who they elevate in the place of Tucker Carlson's absence. Thanks for I know this. Me, the gold companies will keep keep advertising with them. They've got nowhere else to go. <laughs> You're listening to 93 WIBC. Stay tuned, because coming up next, we're going to talk about J.P. Morgan uh, picking the bones in the banking financial crisis. Uh, they're swooping in, absorbing another bank. Uh, we'll tell you all about it coming up next on Saturday Night on the Circle. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Saturday Night on the Circle podcast. Be sure to catch us live every Saturday night from 7 to 9 Eastern on 93 WIBC Indianapolis and watch us on the YouTube live stream where you can comment live with other fans. is Saturday night on The Circle on 93 WIBC. You're listening to Saturday Night on The Circle, another fine edition of the show with your bespectacled curmudgeon, Ethan Hatcher. Podcasts uploaded to SaturdayNightOnTheCircle.Fireside.FM and WIBC.com. Also, feel free to hop in the chat and join us live on the YouTube. Since the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature, one monopolistic interest has emerged to pick over the bones of these institutions like a financial vulture. J.P. Morgan Chase has swooped in to absorb First Republic and meanwhile has taken many of the fleeing former customers of Silicon Valley. Joining us again to help determine if this is the death bell for the regional banking system is the ladies' man, man's man, and man about town, Brian Baker. Thanks for sticking around, my friend. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, Ethan. I appreciate it. Okay, so this is big news it's not looking good for regional banks the biden administration standing firmly behind the era of the mega bank fdic announcing on monday jp morgan chase has purchased first republic bank its collapse now uh eclipsing silicon valley as the second largest uh, financial failure of the banking institution in u.s history to say the least bry this ain't good no, it's a disaster. Let's kind of back up real quickly and explain what happened on this too, Ethan. When uh, the Federal Reserve started hiking rates significantly, uh, that also pushes up. They were simultaneously selling uh, bonds, unloading bonds, and so they were reverse of quantitative easing. And interest rates start popping up, and as a result, the yields on the treasuries are going up as well. So you now have the opportunity to take your money and put it into a U.S. Treasury bill and get significantly more interest on that money. And it's relatively safe. I mean, it's unlikely that the uh, the government's not going to pay its bills. Or you could leave it in uh, one of the banks and get a measly, what, maybe 1% or perhaps half a percent. Or if you're with one of the mega banks, you're maybe getting 0.05%. Right. Banks ha- have been screwing depositors for years. So folks start pulling their money out of these banks, and, and these these banks were sitting on a ton of cash. And they, their deposits were way up because folks got their stimulus checks and just pushed that money into savings. And so as a result, man, they were sitting on these deposits 
And in the meantime, people start pulling this stuff out. They start buying treasuries because they're getting a better deal. And then on top of that, these banks that had bought bonds but bought them at a much uh, lower uh, lower rate are now having to make up for the fact that they've got depositors fleeing. So they have to sell these bonds, and they take a loss on that. And that really just you know set off the, the whole set of dominoes, man, and people went into a panic. And now you have a lot of banks that, for the most part, were, were okay. They were solvent, and depositors were fine. They had to, you know, they were under the FDIC limits. But people have a tendency to panic when they hear bank failures. And, uh, you know, they, they just want their money to be safe because, let's face it, we've been through enough here over the last few years. And so here's the sick part about all this. They put it into these big mega banks like J.P. Morgan, like Wells Fargo and Bank of America, the big mega banks, the too big to fail, the ones that screwed us all in the 2008 financial crisis, the ones that have been screwing depositors for years. And who's going to get taken out? They are. And here's the sickest thing about all this, Ethan. The Federal Reserve and the banks could have seen this coming, should have seen this coming, more than a year ago. May I read you uh, just a, a piece of an article here real quickly? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. This is from CNBC. Despite the Fed's big rate boost, most banks will still pay paltry interest rates. Depositors aren't likely to reap the benefits of rising rates soon. That's because the steps taken to avert the economic disaster in 2020 led to the U.S. banking being awash in deposits, and most lenders have little reason to attract more. Now, here's the interesting thing, right? If you're a mega bank, People want convenience. So uh, you, you've got your ATMs, you've got uh, branches all over the place. So uh, J.P. Morgan Chase or Wells Fargo, they can get away with screwing people because, uh, you know, where else are you going to go if you want convenience? The little regional banks, uh, you know, if you're if you're traveling or uh, you, you want convenience, that's just not an option for you. More to this article. In previous rate hiking cycles, banks were typically slow to raise rates paid to depositors. But there's debate among analysts about whether unique aspects of the present moment will force banks to be more responsive to rising rates. The outcome will have implications for millions of savers. Quote, consumers will be more aware of rate hikes given the faster speed at which they're occurring. This could put pressure on local and uh, regional banks to raise their deposit rates more quickly. Move your money. Just as banks view the rates they pay savers purely as a business decision, savers should do the same. Put your money where you're going to get a better return. Would you like to know the date on that article, Ethan? Go ahead. May 5th, 2022. This is a year ago, ah. well before the banks started falling apart. The fact that the, the folks that were sitting on the board of directors at these banks, the Federal Reserve, didn't see this coming is ridiculous. And and yet, you know, here we have this major meltdown now. And when it's all done, yeah, the mega banks are going to be left standing. And these smaller regional banks, these local banks, they're, they're going to be out of business. And that sucks because – those are the banks that really support small businesses and, for the most part, would also pay uh, depositors a little bit of a higher rate on their money because, hey, they needed to attract customers. Well, it's also potentially setting us up for an even larger financial uh, collapse as we're reliant on a few large institutions where most of the country's money becomes invested. Part of the strength in the economy is its diversification, and now customers are not only fleeing the former institutions of SVP, um, but like the customers of First Republic, they don't have a choice. They're just simply being flat out absorbed into the structure of J.P. Morgan Chase. This, as was reported uh, by CBS. I'm just kind of like running through the numbers. J.P. Morgan, as a, you know, and according to the terms of the deal, uh, will be absorbing about $173 billion worth of public, first public loans, 
um, 30 billion in securities and like about 92 billion dollars worth of deposits. So mm. all of those deposits, basically, they're going to completely eliminate the First Republic brand. Everything that used to be First Republic will wow. now be J.P. Morgan. The dark side of the force is a pathway to many abilities <laughs> some consider to be unnatural. Isn't it fascinating who's benefiting from the banking collapse? You know, people are some a few select people, I should say, are getting very rich off of this uh, financial failure. Yeah, they are. And uh, once again, you, you see uh, the nastiest of the nasty getting rewarded for bad behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, and it, we really, I mean, since 2008, we have really put ourselves in a bad position where we rewarded bad behavior back then. And so now there's an expectation in the market. And, you know, once you've set that standard, I mean, well, and, and they were just talking about it with the, the collapse of um, uh, Silicon Valley Bank. You know, folks that, that had 100000 there, uh, more than 100000 they were still being covered even if they exceeded the FDIC limits because they didn't want the economy to collapse. So when you set that kind of a precedent, people are going to take risks, and uh, these investment banks and, and people on Wall Street, they're going to continue to be more reckless. And ultimately, I mean, it, it hurts guys like us. Yeah. I mean, we're the ones that wind up paying the bill for all of that. And, of course, Joe Biden will be six feet under by the time uh, those chickens come to roost. Well, yeah, I was about to say your favorite person, President Biden, he's trying to spin this and touting uh, the acquisition by J.P. Morgan's uh, Chase as a success because that means taxpayers aren't off the hook. Here's what he had to say. Regulators have taken action to facilitate the sale of First Republic Bank and ensure that all depositors are protected and the taxpayers are not on the hook. (laughs) These actions are going to make sure that the banking system is safe and sound, and that includes protecting small businesses across the country who need to make payroll for workers and their small businesses. And so let me be very clear. While depositors are being protected, shareholders are losing their investments. The mega bank is not the friend of the small businessmen. <laughs> not at all. But uh, you know, Joe Biden, I'm convinced, is a gentleman who probably can't figure out you know, how to put his pan on the right way in the morning. Probably needs assistance with that. So I don't know that he necessarily understands the implications of any of this at this point in time. But you know, his spokespeople give him, uh, give him the, the rosy view and something to get out there and tell the general public. And the fact is, Ethan, I mean, I talked to uh, reference that article that was a year ago. Regulators weren't paying attention. The people in the Fed uh, weren't paying attention. But the American consumers weren't really paying attention either. Why? Because we're busy talking about transgender issues and uh, you know what's going on in our schools and, and all very important issues that need to be addressed. But we're talking about them to the exclusion of things that have a very severe impact on our economy. And that is how we got to this point, man. People yeah. have got to start paying attention and hold their leaders accountable. But the fact is that we can talk about that and wish for that as much as we want, but it ain't going to happen. No, I agree that we're being completely distracted by the sideshow, but I did think it was uh, utterly gross that Joe Biden waddled out in front of the American people and tried to spin <laughs> the monopolization of the American economy as a, a feature, not a bug, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what politicians do, right? They want to get reelected, and so they, they spend a the crap. You know, I, Ethan, I, I, uh, not to get us off track too much here, but I have gone back a couple of times. I like to watch old presidential debates, 
And I, I encourage the listener, and, and you too, Ethan, if you haven't seen it in a while, you go back and you watch those debates from the 80s between uh, Bill Clinton and uh, George H.W. Bush and Ross Perot. It is amazing to hear those politicians talk. One, because Bill Clinton sounds positively like a conservative, but, but at the same time, uh, you know, at least compared to where we are today, but at the same time, Ross Perot was out there and everything that he is warning about came true. Every single thing. <laughs> you know, that's very true. And what that reminds me of is a, a clip from The Simpsons. Uh, remember when the aliens, I think Kodos and Kodak, uh, t- put, took on the uh, Bill Clinton and Bob Dole skin suits and said, As a young boy, I dreamed of being a baseball. But tonight I say we must move forward, not backward, upward, not forward. And always twirling, twirling, twirling towards freedom. <laughs> and if it, you know, listen, if it sounds good and uh, the person has charisma, that's who they vote for. What I was going to say about Perotto is they told the American people the truth, but that didn't get them elected. Because when politicians give you the straight talk and they say, listen, we're going to have to have hard times. We're going to have to cut back. And, uh, you know, it's going to be for the greater good in the long run, but we're going to have to suffer some pain. That doesn't get them elected. I mean, look, people do not vote with their brains, man. They, they get no. Emotional, and they go into the booth, and they just they either stick with their party uh, party line, or they just decide, hey, this guy's the most charismatic, or seems like the most fun. And my gosh, I fear what's coming next, man, because the truth is, the pendulum always swings back in the other direction, and it seems like it's been swinging back and forth to a fair extreme here in the uh, last few elections. So I, I fear what the future is going to bring. Certainly, I mean, there's not a lot of reason to be optimistic. It uh, seems like there are cloudy skies on the horizon but whatever happens of course you should stay tuned to 93 WIBC because we will cover every single moment thanks for joining the show brian thank you ethan i appreciate it stay tuned to saturday night on the circle we got a lot more to come so every time you stumble never grumble next time you'll bumble even less for up from the ashes up from the ashes This is Saturday Night on the Circle on 93 WIBC. Ladies and gentlemen, I made a slight miscalculation. I said there was a lot more to come, but turns out I left myself basically no time at all in the last segment. I do that from time to time. Doing my best impression of John Fetterman. Hi. Good night, everybody. (laughs) We're going to have to go uh, in short order, but hey... Thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for giving your support. Thanks for shouting out in the comments. I always appreciate seeing you guys there. We had great conversation with Brian Baker. If you missed a moment, catch the podcast uploaded to Saturday night on the circle.fireside.fm and WIBC.com. Also, the podcast is up uh, archived to the WIBC page on YouTube. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, We had a lot of fun, and I had a lot of fun on my vacation to uh, Pennsylvania. It was nice to get out of the state and relax with friends and family, and of course pursue my hobby of collecting phonographs. That's all the time I have for. I leave you with my parting words of wisdom. As always, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, and whoever you're with, remember that life is a state of mind. See you next week.
Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Saturday Night on the Circle podcast. Be sure to catch us live every Saturday night from 7 to 9 Eastern on 93 WIBC Indianapolis and watch us on the YouTube live stream where you can comment live with other fans.